0: father as we open your word together that is our prayer that we see you your word is the word of truth and spirit of God you've promised to reveal your truth to us so as we read together as we ponder as we reflect spirit we ask that you would reveal your truth into our lives again today we thank you for your word Speak to us now, we pray, in the name of Christ. Amen. A long time ago, in a land far, far away, we began a series called Spiritualize. It seemed I was in shorts when we started that, I remember. It was a long time. But we're going to carry on today. We're nearly finished. Uh, probably one more after today but we started by looking at this passage from Ephesians six twelve. it says for our struggle is not against let's read it together our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the authorities against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms and I asked you the question at the start well, what does that mean uh what what is it all about i should say let me interject we brought some things for the young people to do on the tables if they would like to go over there there's some uh, some trees you can make if you want to make them uh as we're sharing together it's up to you guys so we asked this question what does this really mean What are the spiritual forces? What are the authorities, the powers of this dark world? What are these spiritual forces, and what are they doing in the heavenly realms anyway? I thought the heaven was where God was, and that was perfect and nice, and that's everything's beautiful up there, and the earth is where all the trouble is. We know that, don't we? We just have to read the papers or look at the news, and we see that. But what's all this really all about? So we started looking at it together, and if you've missed any and you don't understand as we quickly go through it, all the sermons, all the messages are online, so you can kind of recap uh, if at your leisure. But the Bible talks about the, the world, or creation, talks about life in all its fullness, I guess, as two realms, the spiritual and the physical realm. And in the Bible, there is a generic term for the beings in the spiritual realm. That's called the Elohim. God is Elohim. God is spirit. Uh, angels and demons that we know, they are Elohim. But also when the dead it talks about Samuel when he died and he was his spirit was called back by the witch of Endor in uh, in the Old Testament his spirit is called Elohim as well so that we have part of us is Elohim that spiritual part of us and we know that the physical world is inhabited by humanity and the animals and everybody else right and so the Bible speaks about these two different realms there is a spiritual realm and there is a physical realm and in the beginning. In the story of Genesis, Adam and Eve, you get Adam and Eve walking where the spiritual realm and the physical realm are together. They walk with God in the cool of the night. They talk to God. There is no distance between them, and everything in Eden, the picture of Eden is harmony. But then what happens is that we, uh, oh sorry, that then God says, I want you to take Eden effectively and make Eden everywhere. That's, that's the mandate for humanity. That's why I created humanity. And Genesis 1, 28. He says, I want you to go and effectively be my image throughout the whole world. Take the image that I've placed in you and go and bring that harmony between the spiritual and the physical realm everywhere you go. problem was that both in the spiritual realm and in the physical realm, we said, and they said, got a better idea. Don't really want to do that. We've got our own way. And in the spiritual realm, you see in Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, it talks about pride coming in. And some of the created Elohim, the angels, um, said, you know what, I want to be in God's place. I want to give the orders. I don't want to take orders. I want to give the orders. I want to be the one that says, and pride comes in when we do that. And it happened in the spiritual realm. And in the physical realm, we said the same thing, basically. I think we can figure out a better way. We don't have to do what God told us to do. He said, don't eat from that tree. You can have all the rest, but not that one. And we went, nah, we want that one. It's like when you you go, you know, do not walk on the grass. And that looks like the best grass that you've ever seen. And you just imagine how it must feel under your feet. And you're desperate, aren't you? The more you see the sign, the more you want to walk on it. Do not cross this line, you know. We, we were at National Trust House yesterday. And they have these barriers up. And you just think, I just want to, you know. But somebody's watching. So you don't, right? But you think, oh. And that's what happens, right? So we do our own thing. And there are consequences to that. And the consequence that the Bible talks about is death. Now, death doesn't mean we die. It means separation from God. And in the spiritual realm, there was death. And they were thrown out of the council room of God and in the physical realm there is death we are separated Adam and Eve were thrown out of the garden you can't be here anymore because you've decided to disobey you've gone your own way and so we then try and do what we always do fix it and in Genesis uh, 6 we talked about the Nephilim and so on and in Genesis 11 about the Tower of Babel and we said God you come down where we want you to be we're not gonna go and do what you want you do what we want you're our kind of genie in a bottle. And when we rub, we want you to come down here, and we want you to do and, and obey what we want you to do. And God went, no, that's not going to happen. And so he sent the flood, and he sent, uh, etc. He sent the languages. And then he carried on, and he said, well, the consequences of your disobedience, because I love you, I'll, I have to let you go. You can't force people to love, right? This is the problem. Love requires freedom. I love my wife. Thankfully, she loves me, but I can't force her to love me. All I can do is love her and show her love. Now, I could show her the most, I could be the most loving husband this humanity has ever known, and she could still reject it. I can't force her. I can just do loving things, show her love in practical ways, but she still has to have that freedom to say, yes or no, I receive it or I don't receive it thankfully she receives it and she gives it back right and that that's beautiful relationship but it's the same way with God God said there are consequences to your decisions and so he said the consequence if you want to follow your own way if you want to follow these other gods then I'm going to give it to you in uh, in Deuteronomy 32 verse 8 he says okay so the whole world then you want to follow these things you want to set up your own systems you want to Be in charge, then I'll let you be in charge. But he said, I'm going to keep one place that's mine. Because I'm not going to let the whole world be filled with darkness. There needs to be an example of light. There needs to be one place. And he said, I'm going to build myself my own people, and that's the people of Israel. So he said, you can have the rest of the world, but the people of Israel, they're mine. I will make them, and he made them through Abraham and Sarah, right? I'm going to make them, and they will be a beacon for everybody else to see. And in Deuteronomy um, 32, uh, uh, it talks about, uh, or later in Deuteronomy, it talks about the blessings and the cursings, and he said, if you obey me, I'm going to be your God. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to look after you. I'm going to rain when you need rain, sunshine when you need sunshine. Everything's going to be fantastic. It'll be like Eden all over again. Just do what I've asked you to do. And everyone will look at you and say, how come you're so blessed? And they'll see it all point to God. Now we know that Israel didn't really muster that, but that was what God said He would do. Because God's plan never changed. And the problem God had was that as God looked at all that, He had two challenges. He needed to kind of find a, someone on the earth that would actually do what He asked us to do in Genesis. I need an example of someone who actually is obedient to me the whole of their lives, will go and take the image of God everywhere, show them what it means to to have the spiritual and the physical realms together. But he also needed someone who would then help all of us who had messed up get back in right relationship with God. And the Spirit looked across the earth and went, I can't find anybody, What? I guess the Spirit knew that nobody was available. And so what did God do? Well, he had to send himself. Because it's only God that could do what God required to be done. And so that's why Jesus had to come. And I said to you, Jesus' big problem, therefore, was not, in a sense, being obedient to his Father. He could do that. It wasn't in bringing a unity between the spiritual and the physical. He did that naturally. The biggest problem that Jesus had was to come and rescue us. Now, why? Do you remember why that's a problem for Jesus? Okay, three of you, come up here. Come on, let's do this again. Just one, two, three. Come on, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. doesn't matter who's who. Because you're all one anyway right this is the this is the Godhead in action okay linked together the God doesn't stand side by side on ceremony okay no the Godhead is a Trinity so you've got the the Father the Son and the Spirit but the Father needs to be linked to the Spirit as well perfect that is the Trinity right there okay okay three of you do you mind coming over here you're sinners right you're in need now hang on father son and spirit all right marion's the son i've got to remember this okay marion is the son now the question is how does the son get over here why why are we i'm a sinner as well why are we over this side why are we separated from god because of sin right because we disobey god basically so how does god get here Well, if Jesus comes and sins, Jesus can come and be with us. So Jesus comes down somehow. Don't worry about the theological niceties of this. Jesus sins, he comes over with us. Well, that's fine. But then the problem comes is that Jesus is no use to us getting back over there in relationship again, right? So that doesn't work. So Jesus couldn't sin, because if you sin, yeah, you'll come and be with us, but then you're just the same as us, and you can't help us back into relationship. There's no way back. So what did Jesus have to do? Die on the cross, but what does that do for us? Why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Okay, go back to the Godhead. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Jesus had to, the only way Jesus could get over here and still be perfect is to take your sin and my sin, your mess and my mess. If I load my mess on top of Jesus, what happens? Jesus comes over here. So I dump all my rubbish, okay, hang on, let me get my rubbish. This is all my sin. I wish it was this small. But anyway, this is my life sin, and I, and I give all this to Jesus. Take my sin. It's heavy, right? No, okay? So Jesus is now loaded with my sins. So Jesus, you can go, right? Over to where the sinners are, because they're all loaded too but jesus is still what perfect so he can still come back and when he comes back what does he do well he takes michelle and tim and jenny's sin and he loads it all in here on the cross and he says hey come and follow me so he takes them by the hand by the hand, and by the hand, and they all lead on together. And he leads them back, right? So Jesus' difficult task was to get our sin on him. Thank you, by the way. You can, you can take that off, yeah. It is heavy, isn't it? A little bit. Thank you. Jesus' task, the, the challenge that Jesus had was to get us to kill him to get us to the place of the cross where your sin and my sin was put on him so that he could then die and come to be where we are and bring us back into relationship. Now we have to do that, as I said, both in the physical realm and also in the spiritual realm. In the physical realm, it's quite easy. How do you annoy people? Well, you just tick them off, right? You, you just gradually prod them until they're like just stop it stop it stop it and then it gets out of control so what he did was he just prodded the religious leaders he did that by showing them he just put a mirror up basically and showed them all their uh, failings and their abuses and he allowed people to follow him so he grew in popularity they had less popularity they got jealous of him and they said we got to get rid of this guy he's rubbish like he's everybody's following him they're not following us so we need to do something so that's what they did jesus did and they said eventually he's getting too much trouble we need to put him on a cross and kill him the difficulty i think for jesus was not that but timing it at the same time as the spiritual realm because in the spiritual realm the fallen elohim knew who he was humanity didn't really understand who jesus was not till later he kept going, who is this guy? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Who is this guy, you know, that, that keeps on doing this, this, and this? Who is this fella? Oh, what's happened? It stopped. we got... So the difficulty Jesus had was not that. It was... It was getting the fallen Elohim to... Put him on the cross, and he did that in in three stages. Firstly, he did it through the temptations in the wilderness. Right. Let me let me quickly whip through. So he did that by sending out his disciples, the twelve and the seventy two, and then he did it by the confrontation on Mount Hermon, which was with the transfiguration and so on, and the the the, the um, the miracles there and then finally they said we got it he's got a goal and they killed him which is why on the cross jesus said tetelestai which means what it is finished it wasn't finished at the resurrection because he knew he could come back he had the power any time to come back He said it's finished why because the sin of the world your sin and my sin your mess and my mess your brokenness and my brokenness your disobedience to god and my disobedience to god was put on him and he went it's finished i'm taking the journey and nothing can stop me now and then he died and he came to where we are separated from god and he said follow me people right? And he brought us back into relationship with him. Then he said, my job's done. So he showed himself to some people, 300 or more, and then he went up into heaven. But he said, your job's not done. And that's what I want to look at today. He sent his spirit. And his spirit came down and said, I'm going to be the presence of God. And where's the presence going to be now? Not in Jesus, but in You and me. We are temples of God's presence. Isn't that incredible? That God lives, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've accepted what He's done that we cannot do, then you become, I become, a temple of the Holy Spirit of God. He is with us. You're not your own, He says. You were bought at a price. Honor God because you're a temple he's within you thing I want to look at today is this so what is our mission what are we here to do so all of that is a quick recap of all we've got up to so far what is what is it that God wants you and me to do we're going to look at the who the what and the how in John 17 if you've got Bibles turn there it'll be also be on the screen but this is, Jesus what they call the high priestly prayer. This is the prayer in John's gospel in chapter 17 that he prays before he, uh, one of his last prayers before he goes to the cross. And first he prays for himself, and the one we're going to look at is the one that, where he prays for his followers, his disciples. Because in that, he gives us the who, the what, and the how of our mission, what we're supposed to do. So let's look at it together. First, we'll we'll start at verse 6, and we'll look from uh, verse 6 to verse 8. The who. He says, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. Firstly, the who. Who is he talking about? A disciple of Jesus Christ. How can you tell if you're a real disciple of Jesus Christ? Well, Jesus gives us three ways here. Firstly, he says a disciple is someone that acknowledges Who they belong to verse 6 I have revealed you that's the father to those whom you gave me out of the world they were yours and you gave them to me and they have obeyed your word a disciple is someone who is not their own anymore it's someone who has been as we said in Corinthians bought with a price we were out yesterday at National Trust House, out with our, our son and, and daughter-in-law and our granddaughter. Granddaughter's nearly two. She's seriously bossy, right? She's at that bossy age. She says, she's there. We were out walking around, around the gardens. Granddad, come, right? And you follow. Because if you don't, it's granddad, come. It's, it's not a suggestion. It's an order. It's a command, and you better obey, because if you don't obey, she'll get seriously upset. So you go, and wherever she goes, you follow, because if you don't, she's looking at you, and she'll call you back into line. That's little Bessie, right? Oh, me? Come, right? And that's what you do. She was on a slide, they had this Children's part, you know, again, because you had to help her up the steps, and then you had to catch her at the bottom. Again, more, more. You do what she tells you to do and, until you hand her back to her parents and you let them deal with the aftermath. We're bought with a price, right? We, we are not our own. Jesus said they've been given by God. The first thing to tell if you're a disciple is, are you really following? Is God, like my granddaughter, giving the orders? Are you listening to God saying, David, come, and you go, I'm coming. David, go, and I go. David, do this, and you do this. David, do that, and you do that. Why? Because you're not your own anymore. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, your primary focus, your only focus is to listen to the voice of God because you know that you're not your own, that you're following Him. The second thing following on from that is that you have complete obedience. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have what? Obeyed your word. The second thing to know that you're a disciple is the way you treat the Scriptures. The word of God let me ask you a question what do you believe more in the word of God or your own wisdom and think carefully before you answer that question because I hear a lot of believers that actually what comes out of their mouth is more about their own wisdom than it is about the word of God their first thought is not what does the word say but I think when they open their mouths I'm guilty as everybody right it's easy to fall into that habit, isn't it? Well, I think we should do this rather than go, I wonder what the Word says. Am I really following the Word? He says, if you're a disciple, you obey the Word of God. That your life is about trying to understand the Word of God, about what the Word of God is telling me to do. I, I hear about many people that, that like to obey the bits that they like to obey, and they, they just, well, I, I'm not going to do that bit. And then they pick and choose the bits of the Scripture that they want to obey because that suits my life and my lifestyle and what I want to live like. But it doesn't suit what God has said. Think about little Bessie. Granddad, come and you follow. Not my will, but hers. Right? Do I, do I follow God's Word like that? and seek to understand it, and seek to obey what it says. And the third thing is that last bit. It says, they knew with what? Certainty. A disciple recognizes the completeness of who Jesus is. That he is the the physical representation. He, Jesus said, you see seen me, you've seen the Father. You want to know what the Father's like? Look at me. So I ask you, how, how certain, how sure is your faith in Jesus Christ? A disciple has a certainty. I know who I believe. Then sings my soul, my Savior, my God, to thee, how great thou art. We sing as though we are absolutely certain. But are we? We sing these amazing hymns about the certainty of God. Great is thy faithfulness, and so on. But then how certain really are you in who Jesus is? His disciple is certain. A disciple just follows because they know who they're following. They might not understand everything, but they know who it is they're following. That's the the who that Jesus talks about. These are the people that are my disciples. So what is our mission? Well, the Bible talks about our mission as participating with God in liberating the world from that spiritual darkness. What does that mean? That means basically we are here as temples of the Holy Spirit To take back ground from the fallen Elohim think about the world the world is covered with spiritual darkness that's what the Bible says because we've allowed that we wanted that but Jesus said I'm gonna now send my people do you remember when we did the glow sticks do you remember that I'm gonna I'm gonna let my light shine through people And as their light shines in this darkness, gradually, wherever they go, they will take back spiritual ground. He said, when two or three are gathered together, what happens? I'm there in the midst. Wherever you go, it becomes holy ground. Why? Because you're special? No, because you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And wherever you go, that place then, you take the Spirit with you. And we take back the ground from, God, uh, to, from the fallen Elohim back to God. We effectively do what we should have done in Eden. Gone, multiplied, filled the earth, brought God's presence everywhere. We say it in the Lord's Prayer, don't we? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth. That's what we want. Let's look at how he puts it he says I pray for them I'm not praying for the world but for those you have given me for they are yours all I have is yours and all I have all you have is mine and glory has come to me through them I will remain in the world no longer but they are still in the world and I am coming to you Holy Father protect them by the power of your name the name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name that you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the scripture would be fulfilled. What's Jesus saying? He says, firstly, the the same mission that Jesus had his was universal, but it's what we're to be. We're to be those channels. And as we do that, it's how we bring, let me go back a couple, glory. Glory. What's glory? What's glory? We sing it all the time. Glory, glory, glory. Hallelujah. What is glory? Renown. Yeah, it's honor. Honor. It's, it really means weightiness, like heaviness. But, but it means that in the sense of, of honor and like that you are really important. Right? So when we bring God glory, we're saying, God, you are the most important. You are to be renowned. You are to be worshipped and adored. You are the one that, that we want to just lift high. And how how do we bring glory to God he says Well glory comes through you and me as we obey what he's asked us to do If you don't do the mission that God has asked if I don't do that you cannot bring glory to God because you're not doing what he's asked right He said how can I explain that He said this is this is what I want you to do go make disciples or as you go make disciples. And when you do that, you bring me honor and glory. This is what I want you to do, go love, love your neighbor, love God, love your neighbor as yourself. When you do that, you bring me honor and glory because you're, you're doing what I'm asking you to do. You're following what I'm telling you to say, or what I'm asking you to do, right? You're follow. you're taking my word seriously. How, how do you bring honor to a teacher? Mariam was a teacher. How do her students bring her honor? By doing well, listening to what she teaches, putting it into practice in the exam, trying to. And then if all her students were AA stars, that would bring her honor, right? If all of them flunked, what does that say about Marian's teaching? Never happened, she doesn't understand what I'm talking about right now. But if, hypothetically, then it wouldn't bring him much honor, right? And it's the same with God. Like, if we do what he's asking us to do, we bring him honor and glory. And he says, like, this is, this is what I want you to do. This is the what. You can sing about glory, but I want to see it. I want to do it. And how do we do that? Not by us coming out of the world, but by staying in the world. You can't give him glory if you're out of the world, can you? because you can't do what he's asking you to do except by staying here. But he says, you stay here, I'll protect you. I'll spiritually protect you. The word literally means, I'll be your guardian angel. I'll be be your guardian. I'm going to stand guard and watch. And how am I going to do that? I'm going to do that through the character, the power of God's name, what he stands for. And he says, if you do that, there will be a unity together, right? A unity of purpose. Because Marion needs to do that, and I need to do that, and Oma needs to do that, and Faye needs to do that, and Tim needs to do that, Jenny needs to do it. And we'll all be doing the same thing. may do it in slightly different ways, in our own character and everything else, but there'll be a unity because we're all pushing and pulling in the same direction. Because we're doing what God has asked us to do. Then he says the how. How do you do this? Which is the real critical thing. Verse 13. He says, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. How do we do it? Firstly, we live as God intended, which is with the full measure of joy. What's joy? What's joy in the Bible? Do you feel joyful? No, obviously not. What is joy? Happiness, kind of. Joy in the Bible is happiness, but it's happiness which is found where? In Him. It's a happiness, it's a a warm, fuzzy feeling, right? That is found not in your circumstances, but in knowing that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Biblical joy cannot be taken from you because Christ cannot be taken from you. You may go through the valley of the shadow of death, but you can still have joy. Why? Because you know he's your savior. You know he's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. That is joy. Human joy is more about happiness, which is subject to the things that go on around us. Roland is unhappy right now the first thing when I walked in today, he said, "David, Whealdstone lost again." Right? Happiness is about what happens. When he comes in and Wheelstone finally win, he'll be skipping along. David, And I say, "You don't even need to tell me anything Rowland. I know they must have won." But he was, David, Wheelstone lost again. right? That's, that's, what ha- that's, that's what physical happiness is about, isn't it? It's about our circumstances. Certain things make us happy, certain things make us sad, but joy, because it's rooted in Christ, it doesn't change. And he says, the first thing I want you to do is to be examples. I want you to imitate, live life as God intended. Look at the person next to you. Do you think they got any joy in them? Come on, have a good stare. What do you think? Do you know how you can tell whether you got joy? The easiest way to tell is what comes out of your mouth. You think back. Like Roland could have come into, I'm just picking on Roland now. You could come into the church and you go, Wheelstone lost again, but Jesus is still on the throne. Hallelujah right circumstances don't change but i know where my security is we sing a hallelujah you know then sings my soul my savior god to me how great thou art you don't have to just let me sing how great thou art then sings my soul my savior god to thee how great thou art how great thou art. Now, that never changes. That never changes. And the question is, do we go through our life with that in our hearts? And we might have gone through really difficult times, but we're still singing, how great thou art, how great thou art, because that, that never, ever changes. Or are we going through our lives looking at our circumstances around us going oh this has gone wrong and that's gone wrong and this is not happening and oh man what are we doing jesus said the full measure of my joy he was still joyful on the cross it was horrible but he still knew where his father was he still knew who was in control is that you and me He said, that's the first thing we need to learn how to do. Live with that. Live as he intended us to live. The second thing, he says, I've given them your word that the world and the world has hated them. For they're not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They're not of the world even as I am not of it. Sanctified and by your truth, your word is truth. We'll come back to that. The second thing he says, I want you to imitate Jesus for all those who need an illustration. He said, I want you to live the word of God. I have given them your word, and the world may hate them, but I want you to live it. Jesus has entrusted to us his word right here. And he wants us to live that out, to imitate him. Just as Jesus said, if you see me, you see the Father. We should be saying, "If if you want to know what Jesus looks like, look at me. Now, we don't do that because we sadly fall so far short, don't we? And we don't want to embarrass ourselves. But how can the world see What Jesus means if they can't see it through you and me how can they see it how can they know what Jesus is all about except through you and me where are they going to find an example where are they going to find an example of what Jesus really means to people how the difference is that Jesus can make in somebody's life if they can't see it through you and me he said I want you to as you're going Make disciples. How are they going to make disciples? Because they'll see Jesus in you. Your temples are the Holy Spirit, right? That's what we need to show them. That's what we're going to do. We're going to learn how to show that to people so that when people see us, they don't just see us and go, oh, you're amazing. No, no, no. We go, no, Well, I'm, I'm nothing. But I know the one who's everything. I'm going to show you. And Jesus said, I want you to imitate me. In the same way he said you know jesus said it over and over again he sent out the 12 and the 72 he he said to them you're going to do even greater things than i've done because i'm going to go to the father but you're going to carry on doing what i've done you're going to take it to the whole world and show them paul said it he said follow my example not because he was arrogant and rude and thinking he was perfect But he said, where else are you going to see who Jesus is unless you follow my example? Follow what I do. And I'll be really careful what I do, what I say, how I behave because I know that people are looking at me. I was talking to my my son the other day and he he was saying to me the same thing. Little Bessie. Because she picks up everything he does. Kids do, don't they? They follow the example. They don't... They don't sit down and say no, it's twenty-five things you've got to learn. No, they just watch and they learn. That's the frightening thing if you've had kids. They turn out just like you. You pray against it, but it's true, right? And you just think, and they follow, they follow the good, but they also follow the not so good. In in each of us. And we just go, Oh my days, like wish they could just pick that bit and not that, but they just watch, don't they? They watch. And they subsume what they see and they learn it and it's how we are to be with others and lastly Jesus says this he says you know what you've been sanctified sanctify them by the truth your word is truth notice how often the word comes up how important the word is in all of this as you sent me into the world I have sent them where into the world For them, I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. What does sanctify mean? It means set apart. Right? This is not just a table, it's sanctified, it's the communion table. The things in here have been sanctified, set apart for a particular purpose. And the word says. Jesus says, I've sanctified you. I've set you apart to do what I'm asking you to do. I've, I've gone around and I've chosen you. And I've said you and, you and you and you and you and you you. I want you to go do this. This is what I want you to do. He said, for them, I've set myself apart that they too may be truly set apart. To go into the world, make disciples, to do what he's asked us to do. To liberate the world from the fallen Elohim. To bring the kingdom of God, our Father who art in heaven. You know that one? Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom thy will be done on earth as in heaven. And every time you pray that, you know what you're saying to God? You're saying like Isaiah, here I am, send me. It's not easy being a Christian, is it? Because being a Christian, you can't just sit there and do what you want to do. Go where you want to go. He says, you're no longer your own. You were bought with a price. Go do. I've set you apart for a purpose. To go and restore this back to Eden. But you know the wonderful truth? that no, we don't do it alone. He said, I'm going to give you my spirit, my spirit, so that you have the same power that I have. You have the same strength that I have. I'm going to protect you spiritually. I'm going to watch over you. I'm going to keep you in the palm of my hand, and I'm going to give you the power that I have. So in the same way, with the same power that Jesus had to do all the things that he did, To be God's image, God is going to give you and has given me that same power through the Holy Spirit to fulfill what He wants us to do. You think it's mission impossible? You remember when Gabriel in Luke 1 came to see Mary? And Mary when she heard about it she went how can this be what did God say and what did God Gabriel say nothing is impossible for God don't look at yourself look at him and let him do all the work let's pray father the mission that you've called us to do seems overwhelming. It seems impossible. But we know that in the physical realm, maybe, if it was down to our strength and our abilities, certainly. But it's not. With you, nothing is impossible because you created it all. You created the Elohim, you created humanity, you created the world, you created everything. You are so beyond and above and have so much power and glory and honor. You are so, you are the definition of, of it all, that for you, you can flow through us and the impossible becomes possible. It becomes a reality. You've not given us something to do that is impossible. You've given us something to do that with your strength, if we rely on you, we can do it all. And therefore, we can give you glory. We thank you and we praise you. You just ask us, though. Like like with Isaiah, you said, "Who, who shall I send? And you're waiting for us to put our hands up and say, Lord, send me. I might be out of my comfort zone. I might be doing things that, Lord, I I don't really know what I'm doing, but, Lord, I'm here. I'm available. Send me. Lord, show us. Show us yourself. Show us what is possible. Lord, we're ready to be sent and to trust you not in our own strength, but in yours. For we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen.